You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet. Now, the Ely Pika lives in the Tian Shan Mountains of northwest China. What can they teach us? Researchers think that they might be a canary in the coal mine because of the potential impacts of climate change. They indicate... Many species are in crisis and need your help. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. Welcome to the All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris. And I'm Angie. Angie, I this went to the top of my list. You sent me this article and I demanded we do this next, right? Like I just, this is the cutest damn thing I've ever, ever seen, period. There was not much twisting uh, my wrist on this one because I couldn't agree more. I am in love. <laughs> I have a new species crush. And yes. I'm really excited to share it today with our audience because today we are going to be talking about the pika, which there's several species, but mm-hmm. we're going to highlight what is known as the Ely pika or the magic rabbit. This thing is <laughs> adorable. So it is. I, 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 I love my elephants. I love my honey badgers. I love. My immortal jellyfish now. This thing by far, by far is oh, the yeah. cutest animal we've covered. Yes. I, I just... think, I think I was talking about, um, snow leopards and clouded leopards mm-hmm. as some of the, mm-hmm. some of the top cutest babies, uh, out there. Mm-hmm. Of course there's bazillions, but yes, this <laughs> Ely Pika <laughs> rises right to the top. It's... And quite frankly, Chris, Pikas in general are, just very charming. They have, oh, they're yeah. just, they're just cute. All the different species, I think, uh, you just can't look at them without kind of saying, oh, <laughs> I know, I know it. And, and you know, it's before we jump into anything and, and this one's really special because it was just seen in a few years ago, it was just seen for the first time in 20 years in China. But I think we need to describe this animal. So people that have never heard of a pika understand what we're talking about. It's just, they are so adorable and it's a small mammal in Asia. Mm-hmm. And there's actually two in North America, which we're going to get to, but basically they're, they're, they're like distant cousins to rabbits. So they kind of look like rabbits with no tails. Right. But they, they have rounded ears. Yeah. They have, they're just, yeah, they're, they're just uh, perfect. They have rounded ears. Remind me of a mouse, but they, are more perfectly round, I guess, if you will, or they're, they're a little mm-hmm. bit, they protrude a little bit more like Mickey mouse ears, I suppose. If that's mm-hmm. yes. Accurate. Yeah, that's good. Good, good, good. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and then, yes, they don't have a tail and their fur is dense and fine. It can be anywhere mm-hmm. from usually grayish Brown. Sometimes they might even have a little bit of reddish Brown to their color reddish Brown to their mm-hmm. color too. Mm-hmm. It just depends on the species and where they live uh, so I don't, you just have to go to our show notes and look at them. We're not doing yes, it justice. You, We're not doing the Pika no. justice in general. 
Um, yes. Because for a lot of people, it's probably a newish species. Um, right. Or maybe you've heard of it, but you never really knew. So today, you are going to learn everything about Pika. Google it or go to our show notes and you will fall in love. And then that's just your normal Pika. But when you check out on our show notes and see the pictures of the Ely Pika, you will thank us not once, yes. not twice, <laughs> <laughs> probably for the rest of the week. Because it you, is, Chris, what did you, you said when we first started talking about this last week, uh, you, you mentioned it looked like a Ewok. Ewok. Yeah. yeah. It looks like, it's like a real life Ewok. It, it just it is so and cute. They call it the face. teddy bear face. Oh, yeah, that's teddy right. That's face. a good description. Teddy bear face. Yeah. Its ears are super furry too. Perfectly round mm-hmm. oh, ears that are furry just... and, are, and the ears are like erect, like I said, like Mickey Mouse ears. Mm-hmm. And then its mm-hmm. face is kind of bristly, almost like a, a teddy bear or a Scottish dog or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or Scottish terrier. Adorable. I was, uh, she, you sent me that and I was like, okay, that, that's it. They, they win. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, it's the cutest thing ever. And we have some really good ones on, on the lineup too. And, uh, it, it, this yeah. one jumped, jumped far, far. <laughs> Straight to the right. <laughs> right so. pick ours. And, and these ones are endangered. So we're going to get to that. That, that's, you know, there's a, there's a host of reasons. And yeah, Chris, when I was doing research on these guys, I came across this quote that made my jaw hit the ground uh, about the Ely Pika. And it's by the researcher that made them famous. And so if you stick with us, we'll talk more about his work. But what he states is, quote, I discovered the species, and I watched as it became endangered. If it becomes extinct in front of me, I'll feel so guilty, end quote. Mm. And so that's what also encouraged us to get the message out there about the magic rabbit, the Ely Pika, and hopefully share, make, make everyone fall in love and understand a little bit more about Pikas and their physiology and how they're actually, interestingly enough, a canary in the coal mine with some of this climate yes, change stuff. Very much. Uh, very and so, much. yeah, stick with us and because we would definitely want to uh, tip our hats to the scientist that is trying over in China that is working very, very hard to save this magic rabbit from extinction before it's too late. Yes, yes. They, you know, they, they, they're facing a ton of pressures that we're going to get to. Uh, one of the things that, that I, I just laughed when I found this out, and I know my son would, would really appreciate that, but, you know, Pokemon is, you know, world ne- renowned, mm-hmm. and P- Pikachu is very famous. He's actually has a movie coming out this year, I think. Oh, really? And they based, yeah, Pikachu huh. is based on Pikas. <laughs> so. Oh, so maybe, yeah. yeah so, so the younger generation is like, come on, Angie and Chris, of course we know what yeah. Pikas are. Pikas ah, are, yeah, Pikachu. Okay. <laughs> so I thought that was pretty funny. That He's is gonna funny. Get a out of that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. Now, these are actually larger than other species of Pika, so we'll get to that. Um, you know, but they're still little. They're, you know, nine inches long and only weigh about 11 ounces, you know, or 250 grams. So they're not, they're not huge. They're, they're so They're cute. small they're mammals. Yes, definitely. Yes. So yes, cute. Very. Now, the Ely Pika lives in the Tian Shan Mountains of northwest China, which is really, if you, if, you know, the upper left corner of China is where they are. And like we're going to get to here in a second, but they really prefer higher elevations, you know, and this okay. is pretty standard for Pikas throughout the world, right? So, well, you know uh, what, Chris, that's really interesting. So you said, mm-hmm. uh, the northwest corner. Mm-hmm, a good mm-hmm. friend of mine uh, lived over in Ch- he's American Marcus and uh mm-hmm. he lived over in China for years uh doing teach for America teaching English and I would always super fascinated by China and the landscapes and the history and the culture and also trying to understand what part he was living in and teaching in and he described China he said it's similar in size to actually the United States and you, mm-hmm. you can almost not that you can't transpose it on a map but it's similar in size and then also somewhat like a little bit similar in climate as well so that kind of makes sense to me that the northwest corner is going to be cold and rocky and (laughs) you know what i mean that's hilarious because i'm looking at my map right now and the other pika throughout the world there's two species in north america and it is 
I mean, Angie, they're close to me here in California. So I need to go find Pika and just Yes, look you at do. Them. And if you stick with us too, Chris, uh, surprise for you. I found a group that uh, you might be able to help out with. Ooh, that'd be mm-hmm. awesome. But they are like in the Northwest, you know, in North America. So California, Oregon, Washington, up into British Columbia. And then, you know, then they go over to the Rockies, Utah, Colorado, up that part of the United States. And these you know, are, it's the interesting t- you said that because the two species that, it, that reside in the United States. Now there are pika throughout Asia too, and China, um, Russia, Japan. Uh, even down through Nepal. So pika are all over that part of Asia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's up there's 30 species. So two of them mm-hmm. in North America and then the remaining 28 in Asia or a little bit in the Eurasia yeah. too, I read somewhere potentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 Eastern Europe, but they've been kind of pushed out a little bit with the mm-hmm. expansion of humans obviously. Now, the Ely Pika, obviously, you know, they're endangered. There's just, if we haven't sold you on how cute they are. I'm sorry. You, you will. I don't think we possibly can. I really don't. Obviously, if you're driving, <laughs> do not, I, do not get your phone out. But if you're not driving, no. hit yeah. pause with us and yeah. bring up another browser. Well, just look at our, Google this or show Just look up the picture of the week. I mean, you know, yeah. always on our podcast, the picture of the week. Will so, be the I mean, I'm center. sure most people, <laughs> I'm sure most people have our, uh, homepage, our website, uh, mm-hmm. as their, one of their favorites, right? Like, a, yes, uh, they, on their, yeah, of course, on their phone. of course. All right. Yes, yes, yes. You mean, you mean our moms who barely know how to use their cell phones? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I know. No, my mom's actually pretty good. Like she's over on my computer all the time. Um, but you mentioned earlier, Angie, and, and I think this is a, a critical point to make about pikas in general. You said canary in the coal mine, and they absolutely are a species of really looking at the changes in climate change, especially in the alpine, they call it alpine biogeography. Right. The changes in temperature, because these things are really sensitive to temperature changes, so scientists are using them as an indicator species, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I think this is a good time to point out that in general, pikas live in kind of two main ecotypes. One's associated with rocky habitats that Chris and I have kind of already mentioned as far as the Northwest mm-hmm. um, and the United States and, of course, into Canada. Mm-hmm. But the other is what they call like meadow, steep forest, shrub habitats, and each mm-hmm. Ecotype is going to be associated, is going to be associated with specific histories and traits and even a little bit more of, uh, their phenotypes or how they look. Um, but mm-hmm. they are a creature of the North and they love the North. They've very, very well adapted to it. And we'll, we'll touch on that throughout the podcast. And in fact, not only are they suited for the North, but the pikas that live in the ecotype that's mountainous, Chris, they can be found in ranges uh, up to 6,000 meters. Wow. Which Holy is, smokes. quick math, of course I have what it on my that, notes. Like 20,000 feet? Yeah, it's like 20,000 feet, you. right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'd have little yeah. notes. But yes, 20,000 yeah. feet. I was thinking back, I was really proud of myself. I'm like, oh, I think I did like 8,000 feet one, you know, one time when I was at Glacier National Park. That's like mm-hmm. nothing. That's like mm-hmm. nothing. You don't think I did that? I was, I was having, no, I'm just saying it like, yeah, no, thank you. I, oh. <laughs> I didn't hike up there. Well, I thought, I, was getting, I thought. Yeah, I thought eight, like seven or eight thousand feet was like high. That's not. I high. was at, a, yeah, I was at a conference in Keystone, Colorado, and I thought I was going to die walking the stairs, and I was like, you know, <laughs> twenty thousand feet. Yeah, no yeah. thank you. I mean, so Everest is close to almost thirty thousand, right? So you know, you're talking Himalayas. Yeah. Right. Really yeah, high. and really high. Yeah, yeah. and so they're. You know, they're really well adapted for this mountainous region. Some, like I said, it's actually the large, well, you got it. Yeah. It's the large eared pika of the Himalayas that goes up to, that's Mm -hmm. been recorded at um, 6,000 meters. So, or even if they're of the more meadow steppe 
ecotype, they're still in cold weather. Like they are cold weather critter, um, which is actually apropos for this time of year here for my friends, um, and, uh, the, and North, Northern North America and, uh, mm. Chicago. It's mm-hmm. <laughs> today is seeing little, little chilly. Um, some, yeah, some historic, uh, below sub zero weather, uh, <laughs> due to some, Polar vor- due to polar vortex. <laughs> it's like 50 degrees. Angie, it's 50 degrees here and I'm freezing. <laughs> like I know. I'm such a weather wuss. <laughs> I know. It's like, it's, it's, it's 40 Fahrenheit here and I've got my hot tea and, oh my gosh, I actually yeah. slept with a heating pad last night to tell the truth. <laughs> but John was so but, funny. But hey, said, real he quick. He was like, he's like, you need to stop that. That, that is too much, is sucking yeah. too much energy. <laughs> I just yeah. think he wanted but to But our friends closer. in Australia and, and New Zealand and down there, it's like 35 degrees C. It is like baking. It's like 40 degrees well, and C that's almost a, down there. And that's the thing that uh, with this whole with – with climate change is, you know, it historically was called global warming, which was an, an mm. unfortunate misnomer because I think it could confuse right. people that – I mean, yes, the overall Earth's temperature is increasing, but because of that, there's going to be crazy shifts in weather and which means mm-hmm. places like – Chicago and, you know, places that aren't seeing a lot of sub zero weather extremes. They see extremes. extremes. Exactly. And so with the Ely Pika or Pikas in general, I mean, why should we care? Well, there's lots of reasons we should care. Um, One of the amazing reasons we should care is because Pikas due to their sensitivity to this temperature, and their dependence on sufficient snowpacks and summer vegetation, which we'll talk about when we get to diet, nutrition, and behavior. The American pikas, which are the the first one is the American pika, and the second one is the collared pika. Researchers think that they might be a canary in the coal mine because of the potential impacts of climate change. They indicate what is happening with climate change and the way they move and their decline in numbers and how they look for different vegetation and where they, uh, if their range changes, if they're moving further up the mountains to seek more snowpack, things like that will help researchers have better understanding of the impacts on plants because the Pika is an herbivore, Mm -hmm. which we'll talk a lot about in their nutrition. Mm -hmm. And they do a lot of, storing of different plant materials in these alpine mm-hmm. ecosystems. And so learning about how they're changing and, and what their behavior is doing differently could help us begin to kind of understand what the impacts are going to be to other trickle-down species, especially plants. Like we always, mm. Chris and I, unfortunately, because we're not to all of our, our, our plant lovers out there, all of our plant biologists, we're, you know, we don't really specialize in it. So I think somehow sometimes we forget to talk about the importance of plants. And mm-hmm. a lot of the trickle-down effect happens with top predators you know, lower pre- and lower predators and prey animals. But then it does move into plants. So – Seed dispersal. Yeah. I mean just something like simple like seed dispersal. Mm-hmm. Like it's critical mm-hmm. for the biome. Yeah. So the other interesting thing about a pika, which talking more about plants, our plant, any of our plant biologist uh, friends will enjoy this, uh, is that the pikas actually alter which plants they're collecting and how far they will forage depending on what is and what is not readily available. And this, mm-hmm. basically this variation really affects the plant community and the composition. So if they're foraging and stockpiling at a very stable rate, that will help the plant community be stable and it'll like slow the process of succession of plants and turnover. And what researchers have found is that the selective foraging of pikas basically can stabilize plant communities and slow processes of succession and even reduce the number of seeds in the soil for different types of plants. So they have a really big impact on the plant yeah. community, which is yeah. really, really fascinating. I, 
Uh, I guess from an, I, I should, I should care more about plants since I love herbivores so much and their, and their, and their impact. And so the, uh, reading up on this, it was just really fascinating me to see kind of the whole big picture. I, you, I mean, you capture it beautifully too. Just the, again, I think, you know, listening to this podcast to our listeners out there that, that have been following us, getting the big picture and, something that my eyes have opened is the circle of life. Isn't just a lion and a zebra. (laughs) It's not, it's not just, that's not not the melody. I don't, John, I need John here. You would know the melody of the Lion King song or Anna Anna, Anna would know. it. No, it's not. Yeah. It's not just, they're at the top, but then you do have all these trickle down species you know, like pikas, and then you have insects, mm-hmm. you know, and then you have the plant community, and then you have the microbe community. I mean, there is, oh my goodness, it is all affected. We are, all of it. we're now, all we connected, on man. We're all animals. connected. We are. That's pretty cool. We are. And so you captured it beautifully, like, especially folks on, on plants. The, the species of pika, so like Angie said, up to 30 species. These are lagomorpha, the order, f- or lagomorphs. Our first lagomorph. Yes. <laughs> yes, our new favorite. Uh, this includes the pika and then rabbits and hares, which I think this is like mustelids are still one of my favorites. I think lagomorphs are just going to be one of my favorites. <laughs> well, <laughs> I promise you this, cute. listeners and Chris, we are going to do another rabbit or yes. hair in the very near future because I <laughs> I want to learn more about their behavior. I yeah. I'll, I'm going to touch on a lot of the, the interesting pika behaviors, but uh, mm-hmm. rabbits in general are just really unique and they have some really cool behaviors. So yeah, stay tuned. You'll see a lot yeah. more. We mm-hmm. promise. Uh, if you're and who doesn't love rabbits, right? I mean, I took care of them when I, I know. I know. was a keeper at the zoo, and I love them. And you just they were amazing education animals. And so that's yeah. that's another thing too that people always forget. It's when kids go to a zoo. Of course, they're. I mean, who who isn't blown away by seeing something as majestic as a lion? But mm. All the kids love the fact that they can actually touch an, a rabbit with that either at children's mm-hmm, zoos mm-hmm. or at um, mm-hmm. like farm in the zoo. That's where I worked. And, and you just get that connection. And, and some of the city kids that we had worked with had never touched an animal before, let alone a, a rabbit, right, right. a soft, uh, cute little rabbit. So I think everybody yeah. has a pretty fond memory or connection can relate to a rabbit, even if whether it's from a cartoon right. or getting to pet one. Right. So yes. And, yeah. Yeah, and some of these species definitely need our help too. So that's what we're going to. For sure. For sure. Focus now on. they're the, the family Ochodonidae. And so the, the Elipica is Ochoda. Oh my God. I can't see this. Ochotona Eliensis. I'm good at the ensis part now. You are doing, uh, I applaud and, you, Chris. I don't even try. Like, you're my buddy because it's like, <laughs> my weaknesses are your strengths. So I applaud you for even trying. I, yes. What was the, uh, what was the, what we did, the, the Mississippi ensis? Oh, <laughs> whatever it was, I totally <laughs> slaughtered it. I mean, let's be realistic. Yeah, Mississippi ensis. All right. And then, you know, some of the more common names, Angie already covered the American ones, but you have in Asia, you have the plateau, plateau pika, the mupin pika, the Chinese red pika, the black pika, the forest pika. Just adorable, adorable. Now, Angie was talking about the lagomorphs. So just quickly, I thought I would throw this in here and, and I know we'll, we'll cover it again, but the difference between a rabbit and a hare. Ooh. Okay. So. Since we're covering the family, you know, or the order, I figured we, we'd kind of touch upon a little bit on the other ones. Because you always wonder, you know, what's the difference between a rabbit and a hare? And I always kind of knew hares were a little bit bigger, and that's true. They have longer legs, hind legs, than rabbits. Their ears, longer ears, and then usually has black markings on that. They eat differently, so they, they have different things like that. This is, I, and I think this is why you really want to get to it. So rabbits and, and hares have definitely different social behaviors ah, between the two. Yes. Yeah. Well, wait till, well, I, wait till I get to the burrows. wait till I get to the pika. Mm. There, I mean, there's okay, definitely yeah. di- species difference between where they live and. But yeah, oh, exciting. Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah, no, it is is really cool. And then so rabbits live in burrows, and then hares they they live up topside. They don't go down. Okay. Rabbits are very social where hares aren't. And so I just, yeah, we got to cover one. Like I think like the snowshoe hare or something like that would just be fun, but we'll see. We'll see what we get to. May Or maybe some wonderful uh, fan can make a request. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And a special one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's always good. And that's always good. My friend, Julie, she wants tigers. Okay. And then I have a special friend. Yeah. Julie, Bree, we're she working wants on ferrets. it. So, yeah. So cool. we've got some, uh, yeah, a little breeze. She she sent me one, and I was like, "Oh, we love mustelids, but uh, we'll get to it." Well, we'll we did the black footed bear. Would that be it. enough to tide her over? Yeah, she did, but I, yeah, she really wants the minks. Ah. So I was like, "Oh, we will cover them." Oh and, yeah, and maybe cover some hair physiology or something. That'd be kind of cool. Now, Angie, the, these things are amazing. Again, I mean, every animal we cover, the evolution now not as ancient as you know the some of the crocodiles and the alligator mississippi ensis that we've covered but you know they've been around for 40 million years it's again these animals have taken a long time to get where they're at today mm-hmm. pika's split off from rabbits and hares about 30 million years ago and they found pika fossils in europe asia north america not australia interestingly enough okay and they've even, they've even found there. them in the uk <laughs> Yeah, I know. <laughs> and, but they, they actually found some of these pika fossils in the UK that date back about 3 million years. Cool. So, yeah. Yeah. And then as seas, you know, lowered and, and risen, we've covered that in, in many species of just the Tasmanian devil one that comes up uh, to my mind that we covered. Now, just guess, I found the largest lagomorph. Ooh. How big, how big <laughs> do you think the largest Rabbit slash hare slash pika was. I have no idea, but when you said it for some reason, I just thought of my dog Gypsy, who is like a lab shepherd mutt mix, good 70 pound mm-hmm. size dog. So that for some reason, I just put bunny ears on her and I thought that would be my guess that size. And not quite as big as Gypsy, about half her size. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would have thought, I honestly, would have thought I would have found a bigger one. Okay. No. Okay. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. They, they didn't get very big. Yeah. They just never did, but they, they did find a, a species off Spain, okay. off an island in Spain of Menorca. And it lived about 3 million years ago and it's Neurologus rex. So like big, it's the biggest one they've ever found. Mm-hmm. It only got about 26 pounds. Okay. It wasn't very big. Yeah. Not I so, mean, it's, yeah. you know, it, it it probably comes up to Xander's, I would say, you know, your your four-year-old's waist or chest. You know, maybe that high. Two feet off the ground, okay. maybe two and a half feet off the ground. Not very big. Well, but Xander's five now. The so reason he's, he's grown like a sprout. Yeah, five now. now, yeah. Maybe yeah, it's more like, because Zachy is about 30 pounds. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, he's, so he's, about that he's size. like a, line, he's a linebacker <laughs> for uh, two and a half yeah. He ran up to me yeah, today when I picked him up from school. He ran up to me and he like jump hugged me and I was like in the squat position yeah. and I literally like yeah. went backwards. I fell backwards towards the door. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Rugby big. player, something like that. Yeah. We'll see. Uh, they grow too big. They grow too fast. They grow too fast. So they, they called these roly poly bunnies. It be, their vertebrate was fixed, so they couldn't really jump. So they just kind of hopped on the ground, okay. but they lived on this island with no predators. Mm. So they just kind of lazed around and they just you know, hanging out at the beach. I would love this life. And they, so they were able to get bigger. Yeah. And right. they mm-hmm. weren't preyed upon. So, mm. so there you go. Interesting. It's interesting. I'm always expecting to, to find these 10 feet rabbits. And, <laughs> like yeah, that'd be not, like almost worst nightmares, close. right? Uh, yes. It was yes. like a good dream, but a bad dream. I don't know what to think right now. Uh, well, what I yeah, found interesting yeah. with the – here, I'm going to try it just for you, Chris. The okay. Okay. Ochotonidae family. That was horrible. Okay. Ochotonidae, yeah. I don't know. No, it was good. It was good. But they uh, – the pikas, for lack of a better word, <laughs> represents a third of the lagomorph diversity. So the 30 species mm-hmm. represent about mm-hmm. a third. I had no idea that it was, they had that, that they represented that much in the Lagomorph family. That yeah. They, that, I, I mean, I, had, yeah. I guess I, I would have had no idea that there are that many pikas out there. Um, I, that they had such a rich diversity. And it, 
And it's just an animal. Like I didn't really, I've heard of them before. Just never really thought about them. Never really. I know. That's why this podcast is them. so awesome. Because I learned yeah. so much. I know. <laughs> yeah. Until you sent me that picture, and I was like, "We're doing that next." Yeah. Period. Yeah. End of story. Yeah. Like yeah. I don't care. Stop the presses. We're doing well, that animal. And when I looked at it, next. though, I was like, "This is fake." Like this, somebody photoshopped this. Yeah, that's what I thought. That was my yeah, first thing. no kidding. And then when I realized like a it jackalope, was, right? Yeah, <laughs> right. When I realized it was yeah. real, I I quick like was like, well, what like what's it related to? That's just kind of the evolutionary mm-hmm. biologist or wannabe mm-hmm. in me. And I actually mm-hmm. came more up into like raccoon or I yeah I did not mm-hmm. go lagomorph. I didn't. I so no. It's, but no. you know why though, Chris? I because I'm not, I was not familiar with pikas. I think if right. I had a little right. bit more education on pikas and understanding their diversity and their body shapes and their round, beautiful round Mickey Mouse mm-hmm. ears, it would have maybe it dawned on, and where they mm-hmm. live in these rocky, a lot of them are in these, in these rocky sloped mountainous terrain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But anyways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're amazing. They're amazing. Now, again, being a small mammal, their lifespan is probably on average around three years, but they can live up to seven or eight uh, in there. And like you mentioned earlier, so some of the just the physiology stuff that I found is they're a herbivore, which we talked about. The about nine inches, again, we said, you know, long. These ones are the, the Ely Pika is a little bit bigger. They, they can run about 15 miles per hour or 24 kilometers per hour. I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. The fastest lagomorph, who would it be and how fast? Uh, well, probably the jackrabbit. Dang, ding, 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 ding. All right. Good job. Thanks. Good job. Thanks. Good job. That's yeah, his it name. Is. It is. Now, speed, I'm not going to probably get so yeah. correct. Uh, yeah, that's uh, a hard one. You said Pika's 15. Is that miles or yeah. kilometers? Miles per hour. Miles. Um, jackrabbit, 30 miles per hour? Close. Just add another 15, 45. Oh, wow. They're pretty fast. Yeah, no, they're pretty fast. They're pretty fast. 45 miles per hour, 72 kilometers per hour. The, they, they can go, they can go pretty quick, but that was good. It was a good guess though. I wouldn't have guessed that. The, (laughs) now one of the things you you talked about was temperature, temperature sensitivity. So anything over 78 degrees Fahrenheit. They, they really start to suffer. And then that's where, you know, they can end up dying if it gets too hot. Exactly, Chris. So, yeah. Pikas yeah. require really cold temperatures to live. Mm-hmm. And these changing temperatures have forced some pika populations to restrict their ranges to even higher elevations, probably mm-hmm. with less food plant choices and things like that. And, um, and it's, and it's not like, oh, I don't like to be 78 degrees, like, my husky dog mm-hmm. used to be. Mm-hmm. No, no, I, 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 I would always uh, shave him and he had, like mm-hmm. keep him in, in air conditioning all day long. But because of their physiology, pikas have really high metabolic rates, and mm-hmm. so in and they have like low thermal conductance. So even at moderately high temperatures, so eighty degrees or something that us humans mm-hmm. would think is like perfect, uh, they have a low ability to dissipate heat which is really important when you're in a hot climate, right? So, you know, us humans, mm-hmm. we can sweat, dogs pant. There's a lot of different ways that species dissipate heat, but the pika has a really hard time with it. It's just how they evolved. And so therefore they need that cold weather. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, uh, this is, uh, I just hope it, you know, we, we, we combat this and we can get the, the stuff turned around because, is just seeing animals like this suffer and then knowing the plants will suffer and then the insects will suffer and then we'll suffer. I mean, it's just, it, it, it's just sad. Now I can't wait till we get to behavior. We're going to get there. So what they're diurnal, right? So somewhat active in the day a little bit. I think we'll mm-hmm. talk about that, but foraging. Now they do have predators depending on what part of the world they're in, but mostly like hawks and eagles, you know, like here in the States, coyotes, bobcats, I imagine. Sure. And clouded leopards are not snow leopards would eat them. They could catch them. And I don't talking about the circle of life. That might be the better melody. It's been a long time. Yes, yes, yes. But speaking of the circle of life, I mean, one of their ecological niches is that they are a small mammal and Mm. they are part of, you know, as a prey animal, they help feed some Mm. of the 
the food chain and some of the predators on mm-hmm. top. And I don't want to think of the Ely Pika or really any Pika as a mm-hmm. snack, but in the same instance, that is a niche they fill for other animals. And so without them, or if they, if they're forced to move to higher, to higher elevations mm-hmm. because the weather's warming overall, then that's not going to be great for the predators that live in their regions. No. So it's, no, I just, I don't know why anytime we talk about small mammals, I still go back to a year ago when we did black-footed ferret. It goes in the prairie dog and tap, tap, tap on the shoulder so that it rolls over and then bites its throat. <laughs> this poor little pikas. Black-footed ferrets pikas. do not mess around. <laughs> still that image. I will never get that image out of my head. Uh, oh, yeah. Great episode, folks, if you haven't heard that uh. one. Yeah, well, and the black-footed fair is also such a really cool American conservation success story. Oh, Um, it's one of the best. So it's, it's, Mm -hmm. we, yeah, of course we have to talk a little doom and gloom here. It's just unfortunate Mm -hmm. the nature of this podcast, but in general, we like to Mm -hmm. highlight a lot of successful stories as well. And Black-footed ferret is a, is a, is a really great one. Plus I got to talk to one of my BFFs from Chicago. Yes. yes. Yeah. Dr. Satterbier. Shout out to her out there freezing her tushy off right now. Oh, goodness gracious. Yes. Uh, But, uh, people of the North, they know when winter is coming and, uh, they know how to dress. Game of Thrones. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Winter is here. It is here. It's not coming. It's here. It's here. The, like we said, the variety of plants that they eat, grasses, sedges, sedges, thistles, all sorts of things. Flowers. They, some pictures. Flowers? Some pictures. Yes, yes. I found these uh, beautiful <laughs> pictures of, uh, I don't know if it's the North American pika or the collard, but they have mm-hmm. little purple flowers in their mouth and it's just <laughs> the cutest thing you've ever seen. But it's not like being cute that it actually forages on flowers. As yeah, well as it's it's a snack. It's it's yummy. It's, it's yummy. Mm-hmm. And oh, and then but you'll get to this, right? They the the haystacks that they 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 take and go store it in their dens. So yes, it's like they, they have food storage. Pack, yeah. yeah, like pack rabbits or pack yeah pack meals oh, or go. You just you go. You go. You go. <laughs> yeah. Go go go. Because that is just that that thought of just them. You know, having hay in their dens to eat. Like, it's pretty, go behavior. Yeah. Oh. yeah, no, it's really cool. I mean, they collect a wide variety of plant matter. And when, when we use the word hay, um, Chris and I are familiar with this. Hay just in the horse mm-hmm. world means grass that's been dried. So mm-hmm. it's, there's all different types of grasses that horses eat. Um, there's cold season grasses here in North America. And then down here in Florida, where I'm at, we, uh, our horses graze on warm season grasses, but fresh and has a lot of moisture. Well, you cut mm-hmm. it and you dry it and you bale it and it becomes hay. So I, everybody thinks of hay and horses. So it was really full circle, really funny when I was reading and, and the terminology with, with pikas, especially the rock dwelling pikas, they store their own quote unquote hay pile of <laughs> so dried cool. vegetation while the burrowing species that live more like in the meadows, they often share, uh, share food stores and have hay piles that they share with their mates or their friends, which is another kind of cute visual for me for some reason. So, mm-hmm. and so pikas, well, especially the rock dwelling pikas store its own hay pile of all the straight dried vegetation that they've collected during the spring and summer season. Mm-hmm. Now the, the burrowing, the burrowing counterpart or the, the metal dwelling alp, alpine step type pika, they don't do hang as often. They more, they store food, uh, but they do a lot of food sharing and things like that. So they're not going to get as big of quote unquote hay pile <laughs> as the, and rock. they, they, I, they dry it. Like I just, oh my gosh, these things. Yes. Oh they, my gosh. It's like, they're I, little I, farmers. Tra- they're little I know I want to train my horse to do that. Like can you <laughs> cut a whole bunch of grass, set it off to like pick it. So, I mean, think about what they're doing from an animal's point of view yes. is they're actually, you know, they're using their front incisors. Mm-hmm. They grab it. And then instead of eating it, that takes some self-control. They're like, yeah. Putting it off to this, they're like carrying it back to their, <laughs> you know, their little like crash or their little shelter ledge, uh, ledge yeah. that they have or the little rock mm-hmm. den that they have in these mountain, these mountainous areas and just letting it dry and, and then knowing, you know, that they have the wherewithal 
to know that it's going to be cold and months to come and there's not much vegetation. So Mm -hmm. it's pretty crazy. And they, with that being said too, though, it's important to note that they don't, no species hibernate. So Mm -hmm. a lot of times Mm -hmm. we talk about bears that hibernate or it's everybody knows hibernate where they are. Their metabolism slows down during the the colder months. And these, a lot, some of these species will live off their fat storage Mm -hmm. just for like, you know, cause when it's cold outside, there's not much food to find, but Mm -hmm. pikas don't do that. They don't, I mean, they're like totally fine with the cold. (laughs) They're like loving it. Yeah. And they have the, the dense fur, uh, fine dense fur to deal with it. And, but they know that food's scarce. So, They've got their hay pile, man, and they're just like munching on their hay pile uh, throughout the winter to get by. So mm-hmm. it's just, I mean, and of course their peak activity is going to be just before the winter months when they really are, you know, spending a lot of time collecting and storing food. Um, and I don't know how they know how much. I'd be very interested in that. Like, do yeah. they, do they over, <laughs> are they like, me and oversupply the refrigerator mm-hmm. and then, mm-hmm. or are they, more, yeah, it's just, it's really cool. I don't, I don't know if researchers know and that's, that. It's such an amazing behavior for a small mammal. Like it's just amazing behavior. It's, mm-hmm. it's really cool. And the other behavior that I want to mention. Um, so if you don't like feces, you might want to turn me down, turn the, turn the dial down <laughs> on, on the old Angie's podcast favorite. dial. I love myself some feces, especially herbivore feces. Um, and pikas also like feces. And so similar to their cousin, the rabbit, after eating, they initially produce a softer green feces, which is just this wonderful hay that they've been. It's just that's why I don't have a problem with horse poop or cow poop uh, or pika poop or rabbit poop because it's pretty much just chewed up Pikachu, grass. Pika, yeah. P- pika poop. Yes. yes. <laughs> pika poop. There you go. Is like total. It's just like chopped up grass. It's you know. I mean, it's yeah. totally fine. But so what they do is they produce this soft green feces which they actually eat again to take in further nutrition uh, before producing a final solid fecal pellet. Um, and so everybody who's not familiar with this behavior in rabbits is probably like, huh? Um, mm-hmm. And as a rabbit, rabbit keeper, it was, it's really important in understanding their physiology that us keepers, people that care for animals, we a lot of us tend to be – love to clean a little type A and want to keep, keep the animal's habitat very, uh, very clean. But with rabbits, you just have to make sure that they do have a little access to their feces. Uh, you know, I mean, if you, you just don't want to clean their cage like five times a day, once a day, that gives them more than enough time to mm-hmm. find that a fresher feces that is, it's still basically full of a lot of really important vitamins and minerals that have, the body, because of their high metabolic rate, they weren't, they're not necessarily able to take their, take the time. They have a very fast transit time from basically that's like when you eat something, it goes down your esophagus through your stomach. Yeah. It, go, it goes through, it goes through really quickly. And so the rabbits miss out on a lot of vitamins and minerals that could be absorbed. And their bodies are so smart that they know this. And so they've developed this behavior to basically recycle the food and get the most nutrients out of it. And so a rabbit can actually get really sick uh, if you basically don't let it have access to these first uh, soft green feces. So don't kiss your rabbit on the lips at home. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, or a pika, I guess, for that matter, uh, because, yes, you don't know if they just ate their, their fresh uh their fresh feces, but it's very, very important. And it's not gross because it's just like a green ball of grass. So <laughs> that's my poop story yeah, for the yeah. day. My, my peek-a-poo story. Right. <laughs> peek-a-poo. I like that one. Uh, and mm. now Chris, regarding their social behavior, it mm-hmm. depends. And this is what fascinates about me about these guys. And I, I went down the rabbit hole. Ha ha ha. Pardon the pun. Yeah. Uh, a little bit, but I didn't have as much time as I would like to. And so this is uh, why I would like to study a little bit more uh, as far as lagomorph or rabbit or hare or pika, basically social behavior. So the species in North America that 
lived primarily like in the Rocky mountainous areas. They are somewhat independent and they will defend their territory, um, especially against members of the same sex. They'll of course come together and get along to mate, but they're the North American ones are relatively asocial for the most part. Now, the Asian pikas that live in the rocks, they team up. And I think I read somewhere too that there can even be monogamous. They'll, they'll team up and defend their territory in pairs. And they spend a lot of their time in the same area. They store their hay together, his and her. There's no his and her <laughs> hay pile. They put it together. Yes. <laughs> and they communicate with a lot of vocalizations, which I'll touch on in a minute. But they're, they're asocial outside of their pairing. Okay. So North America, leave me alone. Asia, Asia and the rocks. I like you, but anybody else, you know, no, Stay thank away. you. Yeah. Now, in contrast, the Asian pikas that dwell more in the meadows are considered highly social family groups. They consist of adults as well as young. Uh, they have communal burrows, right? Cause they don't have the mountains to like hide in the crevices. So they have more of a burrows. They live at much higher densities than the rock, their, you know, uh, their cousins, the rock pikas. And they have, this would be, a, if you're doing a behavior study, probably want to, and you get to pick your graduate project, you probably want to pick the meadow pikas because they seem to yeah. have a lot more like affiliative behaviors and affiliative is just a fancy word for social, right? Uh, they'll do some aloe grooming or mutual grooming where they groom each other, nose rubbing. Um, and they basically will defend their family, their territories together as a family. And then they have a huge family hay pile too sometimes. So, I just found that was really interesting because I don't know if we've seen that in other species where if there's multiple species that they have such drastic social behavior depending on yeah. where they live. And, and of course, it's probably evolved over time for different mm -hmm. reasons. Um, but yeah, I just, I want to learn more and I yeah, don't know, yeah, yeah. I don't know with rabbits. I'm not, I'm such a, I, I need to brush up on my small mammal behavior. Uh, ecology and physiology. I just, I've been doing these big herbivores, <laughs> these megafauna yeah, so herbivores for so mm. long. Um, so yeah, it's just really, really cool. And now I have a new project yeah. and I want to come with you <laughs> out to Colorado yes. or Northern California to study yeah. these guys. Yes, uh, yes, yes. But what you also probably don't know, Chris, knowing that the pika is a cousin of the, the rabbit, do you think mm -hmm. they're like, highly vocal or not very vocal at all oh it's i mean I, I i'm pretty sure they're vocal because i think i saw i didn't listen to the videos i'm like oh angie better cover this <laughs> of their calls and stuff sure. i think th they've got to be right oh right? yes 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 they it, okay, well because okay, i guess okay, okay. i worked with rabbit rabbits are pretty quiet i mean they had the mm -hmm. like if, if a rabbit vocalizes it it means something. <laughs> it's pretty it's bad. Yeah. It's not yeah, good. Yeah. It's pretty rare. And, uh, and, but I, once again, I don't want to talk too much about rabbits and hares because I haven't studied it mm -hmm. and I clearly don't know. Mm -hmm. Uh, but pikas have distinct calls, almost like a dialect, not so much, but I mean, just they vary in duration. They can be short, quick, longer, drawn out, they have songs. Mm -hmm. Incredible. Okay. Um, and the calls are distinct. When I say dialect, that's a little bit maybe of an over-exaggeration. But the calls are distinct due to geographic variation. So that's maybe where mm -hmm. dialect comes more in. And the pikas can determine what kind of call to make back to a pika that it's calling to. And these vocalizations are used to recognize individuals, predator warnings, territory defense, and then, of course, as a mating call to attract the opposite uh, sex. One study, re researchers reported that their calls within family groups differed per season. So I guess, okay. they, yeah, they have like summer calls and winter calls and probably like, hmm. oh, no, winter is coming. 
<laughs> yeah. No, they're excited about it, right? <laughs> yeah, they're probably excited. They're like, they're like, they're yeah. like rolling in their hay pile. Like I'm ready, you know? Uh, um, so yeah, yeah so it, I just, you know, with these little guys, it just, it just, the diversity of small mammals, we just need to cover more of them. Uh, that's my final answer mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because it's really interesting. And well, here, Chris, I'll give you a little example of a peak of vocalization. Stand by. But yeah, Chris, as you can hear, it's, it's high pitched and there's some chirps and there's more like shrieks. And so, mm-hmm. um, and that was just a touch of all the different types of calls. So mm-hmm. pretty, mm-hmm. Uh, pretty amazing amounts of communication for just a little guy. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Now, one of the things that is the problem with them with conservation is low reproductive rates, right? You know, not only we'll get to the Ely, Picas specifically, but picas, unlike say rabbits, right? Like everybody, the old, you know, ha 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 joke is breeding like rabbits because rabbits reproduce so quickly. Mm-hmm. And I know our friends in Australia, that's a big problem down there. You know, rabbits are, are everywhere because they just exploded. So, you know, what, what's the generation interval on them and, and re- how do they reproduce? Right. Well, you bring up a really good point. We all think of rabbits as readily rapidly producing and things like that. But with pikas, it's, it's much different. And especially, so for example, the American pika, they have really low annual production rate of offspring. They will typically only produce a litter that is maybe only one to five offspring a year. And that doesn't include, I don't, I, I wasn't able to find any like mortality rate of if that, mm-hmm. if those, if that one a year, let's say on a low, on the low end, mm-hmm. if that one offspring a year actually then makes it to, you know, adulthood. I don't, I couldn't find those numbers. Mm-hmm. So, but in contrast, the meadow dwelling species, they tend to have a little, they tend to have a, a higher reproductive output, but it can vary incredibly on environmental conditions, right? Which is what we're talking a lot about in this podcast today with climate change. And Mm so they can kind of double that. They'll produce litters that are, you know, twice as large um, a couple times a year uh, throughout the season. So they have potentially a lot higher output, but a lot of the rocky ones, but a lot of the species that live in the, in the rocky regions like the Ely, Maybe one to five young a year. Mm-hmm. Not a lot. Definitely no, a lot. no. And, mm-hmm. and then these juveniles, it takes them about a year to sexually mature. So that's not too long. Um, but they have breeding season depending on where they live, but it's usually, of course, makes sense like in late April, um, to, of course, end, end of July. And they're mm-hmm. only, uh, their gestation period is about, of course, it varies a little bit for the species, but it's going to be about a month. So that mm-hmm. way they can get, you know, get the offspring on the ground while the weather is still nice. Or if you're a meadow dwelling pika, you might have a couple different litters uh, throughout the breeding season if you're lucky. Um, so when baby pikas, pika pups, I don't know what baby pikas are called. I should know this. Chris, quick, look it up while I'm talking. Uh, <laughs> uh, when pikas are born, they have a little bit of hair and their eyes are closed and they have teeth. And so they're usually weaned by about six weeks and they're only 75 grams, which is just super cute. And their first adult behaviors are going to be seen um, when they're about three months old and they'll scent mark an alarm call. Um, and when the mother does wean them, there will be a little bit more maternal aggression as the young keeps trying to nurse, but eventually uh, the offspring will be fully weaned. And depending on if they're more of a rocky dwelling, asocial type pika, that's about it. But if they're a little bit more of the meadow dwelling type pika, 
they may continue to live in their parent parental territory for at least the first year, if not longer. And Chris, we joke a lot on this podcast about uh, parents and deadbeat dads mm-hmm. has come up mm-hmm. uh, different times. Uh, I didn't find too much about <clears throat> not the sea dragon, not the sea dragon, <laughs> right? Not sea dragon. The one <laughs> of the seventy we've covered, the sea dragon. Yes. Thank you. Yes, <laughs> award-winning dads there. For goodness sakes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I couldn't find too much about the paternal role of Pika's in the parenting. But the maternal Pika behavior is interesting. Uh, in some rocky species, not necessarily in the meadows, the super social ones, but in the rocky species, some of the moms exhibit what's called absentee maternal care. And this sent me down a rabbit hole. Ha, ha, ha. Pardon the pun. Mm-hmm. It never gets old. Bada bing, bada boom. Yeah. Never gets old. Um, <laughs> but... What this is, and this is once again, this is why I want to cover more rabbit species, is in lagomorphs, in certain species, lagomorphs or rabbits, moms kind of get a bad rap for being deadbeat moms. Mm-hmm. Now, and what's been reported is that they only nurse their young a couple times a day. They don't stay with their young. And that's where they get this absentee maternal kind of title. But in some of the pikas... The, uh, the rocky dwelling pikas have this, but it's really interesting, Chris, because the more I dug into it and I didn't give it the, the due time that it, it deserves. So I want to look into this more, but researchers actually believe that it's not a deadbeat parenting behavior, that the moms are actually doing this absentee maternal care because they know that their baby rat, what are baby rabbits called? Did we figure that out? It's kits. Baby kits. rabbits are kits. Okay. Thanks, Chris. Uh, so the kits, <laughs> what would I do without you? Um, but so they leave their kits in their burrow or maybe their hay pile or whatever it is, mm-hmm. knowing that they're going to snuggle together and that they'll be warm and they're cared for. And of course they come nurse them a couple times a day or whatever it is in quick bouts. But researchers believe that it's not really absentee maternal care. It's more, it's potentially protective behavior if they stay, the further they stay away from their newborn babies, that the less they draw attention to them from predators. Mm-hmm. So if they were with them all day, you know, on the beach, laying around, mm-hmm. nursing them every five seconds, on demand, this and that, which some species of pikas do, mm-hmm. a lot, a lot of them do it, the the meadow dwelling ones, that it would potentially make them more susceptible to prey. So researchers still don't totally know, but um, we found a semi-deadbeat mom, but I want to say no, no, no. There's some kind of evolutionary advantage advantage to it, yes. So, um, yeah. And some re- researchers actually reported that when they were studying the quote-unquote deadbeat absentee maternal rock-dwelling pikas, that – they did actually come nurse like 10 times a day or a lot more than was mm-hmm. previously thought or reported. And so mm-hmm. uh, I think you know, they need to clear up the data on this. And as far as the Ely Pika, guys, we don't they're know. Nothing. <laughs> yeah, there is nothing. N- <laughs> we're trying to, you know, the researchers there in China are desperately trying to, to find them again in, in the wild. And yeah, they, they need your help. And I know it seems very mm-hmm. hard to help a, um, small mammal in China mm. that lives in the Rocky Mountains of China, and there's only maybe a thousand of them left. Maybe. Yeah. How do you help yeah. them? Well, you help them by sh- education, by sharing this podcast, yes. or the articles that we're going to put on our show notes, or just talking mm-hmm. to them. Just put a picture as your screensaver on your phone and be like, "Hey, let's save this magic rabbit," and then that'll lead yes, into a conversation yes. of like, "Well, what is that?" and then you're going to say, "It's a pika." Mm-hmm. And they're going to be like, "A yeah. what?" and then you're going to say, "It's yeah. like a cousin to a rabbit." And then boom, yeah. you just did what Chris and I did. There you go. There you go. <laughs> there you go. I mean, that's a good lead into conservation. I mean, and you're right, there's not a lot known because they were only discovered in 1983. 1983, and the estimate in the early 1990s was 1 to 2,000 individuals. They haven't been seen for 20 years. Now they've seen them again, and the, luckily the scientists who we're going to cover 
has just beautiful, gorgeous pictures of these animals. So that is what put them on the news, which is great, which is really great. But we do know their, their population is decreasing, severely fragmented, still trying to identify the threats. I mean, pollution's a big one. They obviously climate change. We've covered that grazing pressure in that part of China from yeah, domestic China, livestock. Mm-hmm. And China does consider them an endangered species. So that's good. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And low population densities. So, you know, they're spread out and low reproductive rates, which we covered. So they're yeah, facing quite a bit. If, they're facing yeah, quite a bit. One, one to five offspring a year on a good year. So, and there's several species of pikas that are doing great and they're not endangered. Um, but there's at least four species, the silver pika, the Hoffman's pika, uh, the Ely pika and the Kozlov pika that are classified as endangered or critically endangered due to habitat loss, poisoning, climate change, um, as of 2011 by the IUCN. So, and of course, many subspecies are threatened due to basically, you know, all of these effects we've been talking about. Yeah. 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 So who's out there fighting for the little Pika? So Chris, I found a group called front range Pika projects. And they can be found nice. on Facebook. Okay. And they're in North America. So any of our European listeners or Asian listeners out there, if there are some groups in Asia, I would love to highlight them. Um, but yeah, this one's in North America and they can be found at www.pikapartners.org or they've got a great Facebook page at Front Range Pika Project and we'll put the link in our show notes. But mm-hmm. it's basically, Chris, a citizen science program. So it's right up your alley, my Ooh. alley, or anybody who's like, Love how that. do I help this cute little critter? Um, and what yeah. they do is they engage in public conservation research on the American Pika. And the volunteers help boost more understanding about Pika by collecting data on their alpine habitat. The Front Range Pika Project was created and it's managed by the group called Rocky Mountain Wild and the Denver Zoo with assistance from Pika researchers. Like I didn't know there I mean, Pika researchers, these are the people I need to meet. We got to find some to interview. Uh, <laughs> I know, I know. Pika researchers at the university of Colorado, great school. I had some mm-hmm. friends go there. Mm-hmm. Um, and they work in collaboration with other regional citizen science to collect basically consistent, rigorous and usable data on PICAs across Colorado. Mm-hmm. And here, Chris, we see once again the Denver Zoo, a zoo partnering with universities and researchers and nonprofit groups to help wild PICAs out and learn mm-hmm. more about their numbers and collecting data on them, which is really important as we move into this, you know, 21st century of global climate change. So I want to give them a shout out. Check out Front Range Pika Project at pikapartners.org or find us them on our show notes. Uh, they have great stuff for you as a listener to potentially get involved with, especially if you're out west, right? Um, otherwise, mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. have a, you can share the information from their Facebook page and just help educate people on pikas. Yeah, they're, oh, they're awesome. They're awesome. So conservation tips this week, Angie. So I'm thinking, okay, you know, <laughs> we're talking about hay and, and so I thought yard. Let's go, let's talk about the yard and our lawns and things like that. If you do have a lawn that you water, you should, you should water it during the cool windless hours. You know, you don't want to water it in the middle of the day when it's hot because that's water evaporation. And so usually in the evening hours when it cools down is when you want to water that lawn. Now, when it's warmer in the time of year, you know, don't let your grass grow a little bit taller in hotter weather. So, again, we're, we're working really towards water conservation, especially in the United States, you know, out west. That's a big topic all the time. But other places, you know, uh, in Australia and things like that where they're experiencing lots of droughts, things like that. Use mulch. You should always mulch your beds, you know, your flower beds, your plants and things like that, because that helps save moisture in the soil. It's always good and it looks pretty, you know, always mulch uh, out front. And the other thing is plant native or other shrubs that are, you know, a little drought tolerant, you know, those that require less. You don't, you don't need cactus everywhere, but 
know, I don't think no. Kevin Cactus, how would Cactus do in Florida, uh, yeah. you know? Uh, no, and a lot of times your local university, your land-grant universities in your state will have wonderful resources on what to plant, when to plant them, uh, what mm-hmm. species do well mm-hmm. in in your yeah. backyard, front yard, whatever. So Yeah, and I, I mean, our listeners in Europe, they have very similar programs in their countries, you know. We have a pretty big following in the UK and France. Ah, oh, we have some. Uh, yes, uh, this so. week I think our Australian numbers doubled, if not tripled, from one yeah, to three. Yeah. I think. <laughs> <laughs> it was Lee. Lee got his, uh, his, his, his girlfriend his or wife or whoever his, to listen. He got his parents. <laughs> you got, you listen. They said my name in there. All right, Lee. We'll keep saying your name every week. Yes. <laughs> you're you're you our are, Australian you are contingent hired down there. For freak? Is that okay? Yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah, we got a few hundred down there in, in good old uh, Australia, and, and we're still getting good numbers from New Zealand. So, so the Angie opened with a co- quote, and I just want to talk about. It. He's a conservationist, Lee Weidong. He is the one that discovered the Ely Pika. He actually named it after his hometown, where he's from in China. And what Angie said, he retired in 2007 to focus exclusively on this species, and the the World Wildlife yeah, so he Fund. First- yeah, he first observed it in 1983. Mm-hmm. And so he's he's getting grants, and World Wildlife Fund's been a big one. And he spent more than 32000 American dollars so far over the past three decades just to raise funds for them. And he's just an incredible human being. Like, that's why I love these interviews that we do, highlighting these people that are now, he needs out a, there fighting. He needs, fighting. like, a GoFundMe. Yeah. Like, he it's needs, just, like, a GoFundMe, maybe. It is yeah. amazing, amazing work that he's doing. And again, how one person, so for the listeners, if you don't think you can make a difference, you can, you absolutely can. When Angie and I started this podcast, we're like, we're going to make a difference and we're going to try our hardest to make a difference. And I think we're doing it. Um, you can make a difference. And I know we have lots of keepers and, and conservation friends that are making a difference. We have a wildlife veterinarian there and right there in Gainesville, Dr. Cottrell, you know, working hard with bat conservation and the things that she does. So, you know, lots of you, thank you for listening. You're, you're wonderful. Share this, just share this picture that we're going to post with the Pika and you just, people are going to wonder what in the heck is that thing? Cause it is the most adorable looking face you've ever seen. It is. It really is. It should get you excited about animals in general and then conservation. So please enjoy the Ely Pika all species of pika, all creatures great and small. And I'm so glad we got to talk about a small mammal today. Yes, yes, yes. And we've got great ones coming up. So thanks for joining us and uh, we'll, we'll talk to you next week. Okay, have a great night. Listen, learn, share. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com.